Well, today is uh, Palm Sunday. It kicks off uh, Easter week. And uh, next week, pretty big week, okay? So I'm impressed that you're here because you're not going to miss next week, okay? Uh, but a little heads up for next week, okay? Um, we're not a dress-up church for Easter, okay? I know a lot, so many of you are, are new to GCC. You haven't been here for an Easter Okay, I mean, I'm wearing my Easter outfit, okay? That's about how dressed up we get, okay? And so teenagers, if your parents, you know, come home with a brand new suit for you to put on, just say, hey, God doesn't care what I look like, you know, what I wear. And God may not care, but your mama does, okay? So you put it on uh, and uh, you wear it with a smile. Um, But as you invite friends, and, and we hope you do, hey, just tell them, hey, you don't have to dress up, okay? You can even wear your Easter shorts if you want. And of course, you know what Easter shorts are. They're just any shorts that are in your dresser, in your drawer that you're gonna wear on Easter Sunday, okay? So uh, that's what my kids will be going for is Easter shorts. So, uh, but anyway, we are in the middle of our series uh, storyline and what we're doing is taking this 30,000 foot view of the Bible and seeing how all these stories fit together as one big story. And we're following this thread, this common thread from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, that points us uh, to Jesus. And that every story uh, on every page and every chapter and every book, it points us to Jesus. And last week we were introduced to this guy named Moses. And, uh, and we said that the, the story of Moses isn't really about Moses. The story of Moses is about a God who saves and rescues. And that's what we're going to see today. But last week we saw that Moses, he, he, he met God. He had an encounter with the living God of the Bible through this experience with the burning bush. And it was a bush that was on fire that was not consumed. And, and, it, and, and you know, we, we saw that the angel of the Lord receives worship. So we know it's Jesus medi- mediating this, uh, this meeting between Moses and the God of the Bible. And God says to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, I don't really want to do that. Okay, I'm not equipped for that. I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I don't know enough. Besides, uh, if people say, well, you know, you know, what is this God's name that sent you? I don't even know your name, God. What is your name? And God tells Moses, I am who I am. That I am God is who he says. Yahweh is who he says he is. And so today, uh, we're going to skip ahead. And I know we're skipping a lot. And uh, my prayer for us as a church is that we would be reading our Bibles during the week. And that, uh, you know, a couple, two or three times, four times, whatever, it doesn't matter how many times, but that we'd be consistently in the word during the week. We're filling in the blanks and we're discovering so much about God um, Monday through Friday and more than so than on Sundays. But uh, we're going to skip ahead to the story of the 10 plagues that God sends over the land of Egypt, over the nation of Egypt. And let me just give you a little context of what's going on here. So Moses does go uh, to, uh, to Pharaoh and uh, says, hey, you know, God says, uh, the one true God says to let his people go. Now, uh, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, they had been enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years, okay, 432 years to be exact, and uh, that they were Egyptian slaves. And uh, Moses says to Pharaoh, hey, uh, you need to let, uh, God said, let his people go. And Pharaoh, of course, says no. And then God sends a series of plagues over Egypt. And every plague uh, really kind of takes down 
uh, or addresses something that the Egyptian culture either holds, um, holds sacred or has value to the Egyptian community or culture. And uh, so Pharaoh says no. So uh, the first plague that um, uh, God sends is the Nile River that uh, was worshipped by the Egyptians is turned to blood. And not only is the Nile River, you know, important in their religious uh, culture, but it's also important for commerce. It was a source of, of fish. Uh, it was a source of transportation. It was, it was a source of drinking water. It turns to blood. All the fish die. The people can't drink it. Pharaoh still says no. The second plague is, is a plague of frogs. And we're not just talking about a couple of frogs that hop on your porch at night during the summer. We're talking millions of frogs, frogs everywhere. Frogs are in your pantry. Frogs are in your sugar jar. Frogs are in your bed. We're not just talking a frog. We're talking several frogs, hundreds of frogs, thousands of frogs all over your house. That was the second plague. Third plague, if that wasn't enough, was uh, the plague of gnats. And all the dust, okay, just imagine the dust that's in our houses, uh, but all the dust that is in, in Egypt turns to gnats. And gnats are all over the place. And, you know, we, we, we kind of get bothered by just a couple of gnats that fly around our head. Uh, but they're, they're all the dust, there's, I just, the land is covered with gnats. Pharaoh still says, no, I'm not letting the people go. And then the next plague is a plague of flies. Okay, we're not just not, not, not talking about a couple of party crashers to your summer picnic. We're talking the everything is covered with flies. Your house is full of flies. I mean, I, I will dedicate, you know, a whole hour to eradicating my house of just one house fly, uh, swatting everything in sight. Uh, and, but now envision that your house is full of flies. And if that wasn't enough, there was this plague of livestock uh, that all the, all the camels, all the donkeys, all the horses, all the sheep, all the goats, all the cattle, I'm, a, I'm, I'm hoping that the cats were included in that, but they all die, okay? Um, but uh, I don't think the cats were. But every, everything that the Egyptians owned dies. Nothing happens to the, the livestock that the Israelites owned. That still didn't work. Pharaoh says, no, the plague of boils. Everybody's skin, all the Egyptian skins were covered with boils, infested with boils. And then there was a plague of hail. So we see a little Texas weather here um, that hailed this storm, this storm that comes that Egypt had never seen a storm like this since they had become a nation. And it destroys homes, it destroys structures, it destroys trees, it destroys their crops. And what crops were left, there was another plague that came, came and it was a plague of locusts that ate up all of the, uh, all of the vegetation. Um, and then the ninth plague was this plague of darkness. And this was key because the Egyptians, they worshiped the sun, the sun god. Okay, and, uh, and the sun disappears for three days. And they are freaking out, okay, because that's their God and they hadn't seen their God in three days. And so we go through nine plagues and Pharaoh is still saying no. And we get to the 10th plague and it's the backbreaker, it's the destroyer, it's the angel of death. And we're going to talk about this plague because it's this plague and what happens after this is what points us to Jesus, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to put the story of Passover in the context of the story of the lamb, because all these storylines really point to this one story of the lamb all throughout the Bible. We're going to connect some dots this morning, but I want to give us three observations from the scripture this morning that we're going to pull out. Let me give them to you up front, and then we'll kind of work our way through them. 
But this morning, we're going to talk about the offering of the lamb. We're going to see that. We're going to talk about the story of the lamb, and we're going to connect some dots there. And then we're going to talk about beholding the lamb, because that's really what changes our lives. So we have the offering, the story, and the beholding of the lamb. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 11 this morning. Exodus chapter 11. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But Exodus chapter 11, as we talk about the offering of the lamb. So, so the people of Israel, they've been enslaved to Egypt for over 400 years. Pharaoh refuses to let them go, to let his free labor force uh, out of the country. And so each plague comes and it takes down something that was sacred or important to the Egyptian culture. And then we have this one last plague, the plague of the angel of death. So uh, look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, four in chapter 11. It says, and Moses said, this is what the Lord says. And so if you haven't listened to me yet, I, I think you need to list, start listening, Pharaoh. He says, about midnight, I will go through, uh, the Lord says, about midnight, I will go throughout, the, throughout Egypt. And every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill. So from, from the, very the very most important, the very top important person in the land to, to the lowest of the low person, it's going to impact and affect everyone. It says, and there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be. And so, so this is the reference to, the, you know, May, uh, Moses is trying to warn Pharaoh, hey, this is what's going to happen if you do not listen. If you do not do what God tells you to do, uh, this is what's going to happen. And then we, uh, we have another reference. Look, look at chapter 12, verse 23. It says, and the, when the Lord, this is what's going to happen. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood. This is, this is the sign um, that we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, that the, that the uh, angel would pass over this house if he saw this sign on the, on the household. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top in the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter the houses and strike you down. So, so God says, hey, the destroyer is going to come on this night. And then it's going to be a temporary uh, but uh, devastating night of judgment. And this destroyer, he is so powerful and so unstoppable that not even the, most, the greatest military and political power in the world at the time can stop it. And God says to the people of Israel, they, there's only one thing that can save you. Because remember, I am the God who saves and rescues. And there's only one thing that can rescue you. There's only one thing that can help you in this night that the ultimate destroyer, the angel of death is going to come. And it's to sacrifice a lamb. And here we see the offering of the lamb. And what God told, and we're going to see in just a moment, what he told the people of Israel to do is to take a lamb and to sacrifice it and to eat that lamb as a family. And to have unleavened bread as a family. And then to take the blood of that lamb and dip uh, hyssop branches in it. And to paint the top of your door and the sides of your door with the blood of that sacrifice, with the blood of the lamb. 
And so, so here we see the offering of the lamb. And God says the only way that you're going to be able to face the destroyer is to kill a lamb, eat it with your family, and put the blood on the doorpost. And that's the Passover. Because the angel of death will pass over your household. And so now we get to the story of the lamb. And, and, and this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless we put it in the context of the story of the lamb. And so chapter one of the story of the lamb is found in Genesis chapter 22. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac, remember? And God makes these promises to Abraham and Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're very old. They don't have any children. And God says to Abraham, hey, I'm gonna make your name great. Promise number one. Promise number two is I'm gonna turn you into a great nation. I know you don't have any children right now, but I'm gonna turn you into a great nation. And promise number three is I'm gonna bless the whole world through you, through your lineage, the savior of the world, Jesus is gonna come. Abraham and Sarah, they finally have a child named Isaac. And God instructs Abraham to take Isaac and to sacrifice him to him, uh, to, to God. And, and, and remember, at this time in this culture, all the hopes of the family were tied up into the firstborn male. That all the hopes were put on the firstborn male. And, and here what God is doing with Abraham and Isaac is he's establishing here, and, and also all the other stories along in the Bible, he establishes that the life of the firstborn male belongs to him. It belongs to him. And, uh, and you could redeem the life of the firstborn male. The firstborn male would go work in the temple. But if you needed the, for a certain period of time, but if you needed your son to help you in the fields, you could pay a, a fee to the temple uh, to, have, to have the son come back and work on, on, you know, on your farm. But here God establishes this unmistakable message that there is a debt owed to God as a result of sin. And every family on earth has this debt. And the firstborn male is liable for this debt of the family. And this debt had to be redeemed. And Abraham realized when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham realized that he's calling in this debt and God had every right to do it. And so Abraham, he takes Isaac up on the mountain. They build an altar and he ties up Isaac and he lays him on the altar. And right before he's to take that knife and thrust it through the heart of his son, God stops him and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't hurt that child. For now I know that you truly trust me. And at that moment, Abraham looks over and caught in the bushes is this lamb. And they take the lamb and they sacrifice that lamb instead of sacrificing Isaac. But that, that lamb was sacrificed as a, thanks, as a thanks offering, but no payment has been made yet for the sin debt. That's chapter one of the story of the lamb. Chapter two happens here with Moses. The chapter two of the story of the lamb is that God claims the life of the firstborn. And again, he says that your only hope is in the lamb. Look at verse 21 in chapter 12. He says, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. And none of you should go out the door of your house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you 
down. In other words, God is saying, listen, if you go out, if you go outside your door and you face this judgment on your own, you're going to find that your performance and your behavior is not good enough. And the Israelites here, I mean, in the story, they're the good guys here. They're, they're, they're the good guys, but yet their behavior and their religious activities and their performance was not good enough even on their best day. And that night in the land of Egypt, all over Egypt, okay, in, in both Egyptian households and both in, in, in Hebrew households, there was either a dead son or a dead lamb, and it was one or the other. And the lamb got what the son deserved, and the lamb was the substitute. That the lamb paid for the sin debt of the family so that the son didn't have to. And just like the guilt of the family was transferred to that slaughtered lamb, the payment of that lamb was then transferred back to that family. In other words, what God establishes here and all throughout scripture is that someone else can pay my debt for me. That's chapter two. Chapter three of the story of the lamb is fast forward to Jesus celebrating the Passover meal um, with his disciples. And Passover, this, this night, this is the beauty of the Jewish faith is they have so much history and, and celebration. And, and every year, year after year after year after year after generation after generation, is they would gather to celebrate the Passover and to remember what God had done. We just sang about that, what he's done. And they would tell their children and their grandchildren what happened generations ago and how faithful God is and how loving God is and how God had rescued them and that he continues to rescue them and they're holding out faith. And that's why they would celebrate Passover. And so Jesus in Luke chapter 22, you don't have to turn there. You can, we'll put it up on the screen for you. But in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is celebrating Passover, this occasion with his disciples. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying that this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement that God is making, the new contract, the binding contract that God is making with mankind. This new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, when Jesus stands up and to, to conduct the supper, uh, the, the, the disciples are shocked in a couple of different ways. Okay, the shock number one is that Jesus is in the place of the father, okay, or the presider over the meal. And it was his job, the father's job to, uh, uh, to explain all that God did in Exodus 3 through 13. 
And, and, and during the meal, during the meal, the, 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 the father would explain what, what, what God did. And Jesus gets up and the disciples fully expect Jesus to say what every father was saying around the Passover table and other households and had been said for generation after generation after generation. They expected Jesus to say, this is the bread of our, of our affliction. Our ancestors suffered in the wilderness so that we can be free. But instead, Jesus stands up and he says, this is my body. This is the, this is the bread of my affliction that I'm going to suffer to give you the ultimate freedom. Not, not freedom from a, political, uh, from a political force, not freedom from an e- economical bondage, but f- the freedom from sin and death itself. And the disciples are shocked at what Jesus is saying. Shock number two is that there's no lamb on the table. There's no lamb on the table. I mean, you, you've, you've got the wine. You, 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 you can't have a celebration without wine. You've got the bread, you've got the herbs, you've got the oils, but, but, you, but, but there's no lamb at the Passover. And the, and the disciples, they notice this and they're like, you know, what, what, what kind of Passover is this? You, you can't have Passover with, with, without the lamb. The lamb's the main thing. The lamb was the sacrifice. The lamb was the provision. You gotta have lamb. We can't have Passover with the lamb. With, we can't have Passover without the lamb. And the reason why there was no lamb on the table is because the, the lamb was standing at the table. You get that? There's no lamb on the table because Jesus is the lamb and he's at the table. And so the lamb was deliberately removed from the Passover meal because Jesus Christ was saying tonight, I am the lamb. I am the ultimate sacrifice. There are no more sacrifices. In fact, every sacrifice that you ever read about in the Bible points to me. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. I'm gonna pay the ultimate price, the ultimate price to to pay off the sin debt of the entire world. So the first chapter of the story of the lamb is Abraham. God establishes that there's a debt. Chapter number two is Moses, is that somebody else can pay my debt for me. Chapter three is Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb who pays our debt for us. But there's a fourth chapter in the story of the lamb. And it's beholding the lamb. Beholding the Lamb is chapter number four. We go to Revelation chapter five. Again, we'll put it up on the screen for us. It says then, this is John talking. He's seeing this vision. Just get ready to read along here in a moment. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, who then who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And let's read this together. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You guys read that like a great Baptist crowd. And I can say that because I'm a recovering Baptist. 
But we're in the presence of God here, okay? Let's read it. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's what's going on in the throne room. Then we go to chapter seven. Chapter seven, we, we get in on this now. And John says, after I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language right there. That's why missions is so important. That's why we talked about it last week. That's why we're getting, we're, we're organizing some trips over the next year that we, some of us can go. That's why we give our money to, to international missions is because they're included. Not, not only are we included, but they're included. We're all there. And it says, and they were, um, Every tribe language standing before the throne, before the lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. Let's say it together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's what's going on. That's the fourth chapter in its beholding. John chapter one, John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this word behold, it's, it's a powerful word. It's a, it's a game changer. Because behold doesn't mean just think about every so often. Behold doesn't mean I'm going to give him an hour of my week on a Sunday morning. Behold doesn't mean I'm just going to go to him and ask him for things when I'm in need or when things seem a little out of control. But behold means to think, to process, to take in. To, to, to realize, to grasp, to embrace. That's what behold means. To behold Jesus means to think about him, to process his truth, to take it in, to realize it, to grasp it, to embrace it to the point that it impacts every, hour, every area of our lives. So three quick things and then we're gonna take communion. If we, if we will behold three things will happen in our lives. Number one is we, it will change the way we see ourselves. It'll change the way we see ourselves because we will see ourselves as people who need to be saved, that we, every single one of us are in the same boat. We're in the same hopeless boat because of sin. And we all need a savior. But we'll also begin when we behold the lamb, we'll also see just how loved we are how valuable we are, how cherished, how prized, how treasured we are. Because nothing says, and, and you may be here today, he goes, I don't feel real seen. I don't feel real lovable. I don't feel real prized or cherished or valued or any other, other preacher talking want to talk to me. I don't feel that. Well, look at the cross. Because nothing says that you and I are more cherished and more loved and more valued and more prized and more treasured than Jesus, the innocent son of God, dying on the cross to pay your sin debt and my sin debt. It changes the way we see ourselves. So when we look in the mirror, say, oh my gosh, I see a person who's loved and cherished and prized and treasured. And I know it because Jesus died for me. It'll change the way we see ourselves. Number two, when we behold Jesus, it'll change the way we see others. Because it means the other side of that coin is, it means that everybody we lay eyes on is valuable to God. So valuable 
that his innocent son would die for them too. And third, it changes the way we see suffering. See, uh, the most senseless act of suffering that's ever happened in the history of the world, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who never sinned, never messed up, never had a oops, willingly went to the cross. It, it makes no sense. But yet, the most amazing good work came out of it. Because we are redeemed. Not, not, not through our actions, not through our, our religious acts, not through our behavior, but through faith in Jesus. And what that means for our suffering is our suffering has purpose too. Our suffering has purpose too. And we've been talking about that. Because God will do things in us and through us that only can be accomplished through suffering. And so if you're suffering today, it's, it's not for nothing. It has a purpose. That God to do something in you and God to do something through you.